I believe it is. The Anya Sparta. <laughs> I should have had that queued up. Um, I actually do. It's literally right in front of me on the paper. Uh, Matt Gasteyer. And uh, on this episode, we will be covering uh, Anya Sparta's first trip to Hollywood. Um, which sounds like a earnest movie, but it is not. Although it kind of is the feature. <laughs> um, and it's going to be two shorts and a feature. Um, Uncle Yonko, uh, where she um, takes a trip up to Sausalito, California, uh, to meet her first cousin, once removed, who she refers to as an uncle, and then goes uh, across the bay to Oakland to do a short documentary about the Black Panthers, and then comes back to Los Angeles to reunite with her husband who is also making a los angeles movie at the time uh, to make lion's love which at some point in the ensuing uh 55 years uh she added the additional uh and lies to the title but i have not in my uh research for this film, I have not figured out when exactly that was. And she constantly says it's always been there, just people don't say it. Even though every poster for it, every advertisement for it just says Lion's Love. That's Lion's it. Love. And every review, yeah. every write-up of it, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I, <clears throat> I tried to sort of like reverse engineer to find like the first mention of and Lies. I wasn't able to really find anything um, prior to the Eclipse uh, release of the film, which was a uh, the in the Anya Sparta in Hollywood box that Criterion released, uh, which made all of these films available um, for home video in a way that they had not previously ever been available. Um, but yeah, I I'm that 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 aspect of this is a bit of a mystery. But anyway, you're Travis Trudell. How are you, Travis? I'm doing well, Matt. I'm doing very well. <laughs> I got to have some fun in the swinging 60s. I got to see a lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff and uh, watch a lot of uh, Varda. It was good. Yeah, no, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying <laughs> it. It's been very cold here, as we've discussed. Yes, uh, we're both snuggled up in bed together, yes. um, debating over which one of us is going to get the coffee. Exactly, and we just keep on uh, rolling cigarettes and removing the uh, removing the sheet from the window <laughs> to keep the sun in or out, depending. Yeah, exactly. Um so, I mean, I think like the first thing uh, just to, to touch on here is like, what was Anya Sparta doing in uh, Hollywood well, <laughs> and also in California yeah. in general? Well, I guess uh, Jacques Demi, uh, you know, because his, his movies were so of a kind with old Hollywood type films, these musicals, these buoyant and lovely kind of uh, uh, cotton candy delicious pieces of filmmaking that really kind of uh, harken back to kind of like uh, um, Hollywood's uh, golden age of uh, musicals and stuff like that, that he was invited to come to uh, Hollywood to make a, uh, an American film. And he said, yeah, let's do this. And uh, he went on to make Model Shop, right? Is that the one he made while he was in California? Yeah, it's called Model Shop. Um, I'm actually looking at it right now on my uh, shelf it was released by arrow um in a pretty uh collection um it's a pretty interesting movie uh it did take him 
I think a couple of years to release it. I think they both had some some troubles uh, getting films made in Hollywood, uh, which is not super surprising, especially for Varda. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot, but it, it, a lot of European filmmakers that had that problem went there yeah. to go make an American film. Uh, Bunuel did that. He got, got invited to Hollywood and just right. languished there and didn't make anything, then went to Mexico, basically. Right, yeah. And that was that was a lot earlier when, when a lot of those... Um, European filmmakers were a little bit more successful in the jump across the pond. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some at this time, uh, you know, Milos Forman was a little bit later, but uh, he had success. Polanski obviously had a lot of success. So it's, you know, it wasn't unheard of at this time. Um, But it's especially funny for, uh, I mean, I think both of them came over and made movies that were extremely different from the movies that they had made in France. But Demi's film is, it, it really bears no resemblance to the work that he had made previously, which is funny because it is kind of ostensibly a sequel to, to Lola, his first feature. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it features a new gamey who actually... Um, she was left by the man that she ended up with at the end of that movie for uh, Jean Moreau, uh, Jean Moreau's character in um, Bay of Angels, which oh. is uh, another one of uh, Demi's films. So Demi has, and and obviously in Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which I, by the way, I just watched um, for my birthday uh, last month and, and uh, showed it to my kids who... Uh, sat through the whole thing, so I, that's feel, a I feel like that's a win. That's a yeah. ringing. If they were able to do the whole movie, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my older my older kid gave it gave it a, bit, a thumbs up, so that was definitely oh, that's um, good. Made made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, that, that I mean, that, I think that's like a, a spectacular masterpiece and um, pretty much a perfect movie. Um, and was a huge uh, global hit, as we mentioned on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, young, uh, but even in that movie, um, the uh, the the writ, the wealthy businessman who wants to marry um, Catherine Deneuve in that film, who ends up marrying her at the end of the movie. Sorry, everybody. Um, was uh, was fell in love with her because she reminded him of Lola. Um, so they're, you know, they're, the there is a Jacques Demi, yeah, uh, Demiverse, exactly. Um, Young Girls of Rochefort uh, was uh, less successful for him, but obviously a lot in keeping with um, Cherbourg in terms of super uh, stylistic, expressionistic colors, uh, musical with Michelle Legrand's music. Um, Model Shop is the exact opposite it's almost like a, a ground level um ode to like not the seedy side of los angeles but sort of like the underbelly i would say um and it's a very uh obtuse film i think it's a difficult to get a hold on and i can't imagine anybody watching it and thinking this is going to be commercially successful <laughs> in any, you know, in any place that you would release it. Well, um, it's, it's hard at that point because there's such a big counter counterculture movement in America at that point, especially in the film scene. You've got like Andy Warhol's factory pumping out these uh, art films and you've got all the, you've got um, 
Czech New Wave happening overseas. You just got this real counterculture vibe going on. And there's also, you know, you got the American uh, studio system breaking down, starting to break down, and all these, uh, you know, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, uh, uh, New Hollywood popping up. And so it's really hard to kind of there's a big title shift in all movies at that point so it's a uh, it's interesting to see um how you know especially someone like demi but especially someone like uh, varda um how they respond to it you know do they do you rebel against the rebellion do you lean into it do you do your own thing and i think she kind of did a little of all three when she uh when she made a uh, lion's love and yeah. lies i mean i think like all of these both of them, you know, I think were uh, seduced by the culture that was taking place in California. It's reflected in their films. In some ways, uh, it's the the love and affection that they have for it is reflected. Mm. But there's also a deep sadness in both of these yeah. movies about what's going on in the world. And I think what's happening to the people who you know, through no fault of their own or being caught up in the chaos of that moment. Um, obviously while they were in California, um, the big 68, uh, protests and revolts were happening in France. So, uh, they, they sort of missed this revolutionary fervor that was, that was taking place. And that I'm sure they were very closely connected to by the people that they, that they knew back in France um, and I think the combination of, of the California counterculture that was happening and the sense that, you know, they were outside of this really important moment in their country's history, um, prompted them to, to really look at these, uh, topics that they covered in these films. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that Agnes took it as an opportunity to make her own movies and to uh, fit the times into her own perspective and style and not just, you know, hang out with her, the famous friends that she was introduced to um, and wait while her husband made a movie. It's uh, yeah. very fortunate for us because we were able to, uh, to get these films. Yeah. She's definitely not one to sit on her hands. And um, I believe Demi went out there first and I don't think Varda had any plans on going out there until he like he wrote to her he's like listen i need you over here like this is you could probably tell he was having a hard time and uh, they've always seemed to have a uh, creative relationship whether they're you know not so much as like you know co-writing credits on everything that each other has done but i you know you could tell that they probably bounce ideas even off each other and talk about casting i mean you'd have to if you're both filmmakers working together yeah there's these little conversations that are constantly happening that neither probably gives the other one credit for or probably at some point don't even remember who came up with the original idea but um he needed her there and he called he asked her to come out and she did and it, she made the most of it she you know she did her thing she went to see an uncle that she never knew she went to go check out the uh some of the uh very uh left-leaning uh uh political rallies that i'm sure she uh which got her into the black panther movement and kind of checking out what they were up to and um then yeah got into the hippie culture the whole uh the whole uh the whole that whole scene that whole andy warhol type scene and uh you could tell that she was uh, really enamored by it and she uh 
went for it, which is uh, which is good. I mean, she did go for it. Yeah, she went for uh, it. <laughs> before before we get into the feature, though, I thought we'd cover the shorts. Yeah, let's um, do first that. here since since they were actually um, let's go in order before before the feature. Yeah. Um, so the first one that she made in California was Uncle Yonko. Um, it's a film about her, uh, like I said, first cousin once removed. It's her dad's cousin. And so she heard that that uh, this guy that she was related to was uh, this artist living in, uh, you know, just outside of, of San Francisco on a houseboat. Um, and... Uh, she arranged a meeting through somebody, I think, um, to, uh, with him and decided to make a movie out of it. Uh, and this is the, uh, the product of that. It's about 22 minutes long and, um, it's, it's very Varda and it's very pretty much wall to wall delightful. Oh, it is so delightful. It's colorful and vibrant and fun and, uh, playful and, but at the same time, you know, she's enamored and also learning a lot about this uh, figure that's related to her. Like, we're still getting lots of information about him and she, and her her opinions about him. Uh, you know, as the as the uh, as the narration of what's going on. The uh, it's a uh, it's super fun. It's a uh, it's it. You can see that potentially she that is even like the side of her family tree where she gets her kind of uh her artistic ways about her because this guy is fully immersed in the art life and you know he's an old man with all kinds of young hippie friends and they go out in their boat his uh sailboat take him sailing and they live in he lives in this insane uh houseboat that just keeps on getting added on to doesn't even look like a houseboat. It looks kind of like one of those favela shacks, but like on water. Like it's just been like putting together pieces and pieces. And then his art's yeah. all over the place. Everything's been painted. And and it's fun. I mean, I think one of the things I like the most, and it goes all the way back to her travelogue movies, was is the she always gives you a sense of the place. Um, as much as the movie is about Uncle Yanko it's about the place and the time and the area and what that whole kind of like houseboat community is like and what it you know it's a, it's it's a it's a beautiful film it was a, it's a, it's a time capsule that i really truly enjoyed yeah have you ever been to sausalito or to san francisco i have not been in the west coast very much i, oh, I did okay. a pacific northwest and we were planning on doing a uh, California trip, but uh, it kind of got a uh, work got in the way, so we could had to truncate our journey a little bit. But uh, no, I haven't been out that way. You never been to Los Angeles for any high powered uh, lighting meetings? Nope, not not a single. <laughs> I try to you know when when we moved to Boston area, it was because we didn't want to move to LA. Yeah, totally. Well, so um, I've been to to both. Um, Sausalito is you know not what it what it was then um even when i uh went there in the 90s it was uh very different um but it's got this you know sense of like a little bit you dropped out of society Mm -hmm. you know um and you know it's kind of it's it's obviously it's an illusion um san francisco's right there (laughs) but uh it becomes this 
other world that um you know it's like it's almost as if you're in sort of like the spirit world underneath of reality because <laughs> you can see san francisco right there but it's just it's so different um and uh i mean a lot of northern california is like that it, there's there's this sense of like oh yeah well like san francisco exists we get it but this isn't san francisco yeah. um and there's a there's uh a real you know sense here that like these people are all in this together you know mm-hmm. um and i mean i i just i found found him very charming um I, obviously i think the way that varda presented him was very charming you know i mean obvious the two funniest moments here like is the the over and over again recreation of them meeting at the beginning um which is is so charming um and i think could probably come off as pretentious but it's instead i think interestingly reveals a lot about his personality like the different ways in which he approaches the lines that he's given yeah to like he's he's into it her. he's into it yeah. he's uh he's totally game for what she wants to do i mean how many how many you know if a, if a distant relative called you up and say, hey, I know we never met each other. I'm coming to visit. And while I'm here, I'm going to, for the three days, we're going to make a short film about you. I'm pretty sure, like, I would be like, eh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm good. No, thank you. If you want to hang out and get a coffee or something. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, let's yeah. do this. Let's make a movie about me. Okay. Well, and I assume he had never heard of her. I mean, I, there's no real reason for him to have heard of her i mean maybe he knew about her because he was related to her but i don't get the sense that he was in touch with a lot of his family yeah i think he dropped out and he's out there like uh yeah i don't think he's he's traveling back home every couple of years like yeah. uh, nowadays people would do <laughs> no no not definitely not no uh, well the other thing is it wasn't home for him right i mean he 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 had not lived in belgium or france i think maybe he lived in belgium briefly but he had fled he had fled Greece, uh, you know, uh, um, after the dictatorship was established and was not somebody who, you know, was in Varda's life uh, before this. She had never met him before. I think she had just heard about, you know, everybody has that crazy relative that went and did something that nobody else ever did. Most of them went to California, (laughs) including this guy. Um, So, you know, I think it's... uh, it's kind of amazing that they even uh, made this connection. And then the fact that you see his art and there's, it's so colorful. It's so charming. Oh, these, um, these like Byzantine castles that are made out yeah. of collage. Oh, it's, it was absolutely, it was a beautiful piece. Like I, w- I would have a piece like that up in my house. Like I can. Yeah. 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 It's got a lot, a ton of character just like him and his house. And um, I mean, you can really see him in the work that he made, just like you can see, Varda in the in the films that she produces um the other moment from him uh that or in the film that was so great was her talking about like what he'd what she imagined he'd be like you know that yep. he'd be this like fancy person uncle that made it big in the U.S. um <laughs> and, um yeah like does, does he have a cowboy hat he's on got a cowboy hat on yeah. I like the uh <laughs> I like the laugh-in bit where they just kept on opening the door and he would have a line about something that he uh, he has an opinion yes. on. I thought yeah. that was great. That was just that was super charming because he was. Uh, that's what I liked. He was just game, you know. He's and and he yeah. was. You could tell he was proud. He was proud to have a film made about him. 
It's almost like it's a just you know, uh, it's a uh, it's the thing that uh, that says, "See, I'm I'm worthy of having a film made about me." Look, hey kids, all you guys are just chilling out here. I'm just walking around, touching people yeah. on their heads, anointing yeah. them, you know, <laughs> saying, "Hey, this is this person." And it was great. Like, just he got to be a big shot for a little bit, you know. And I'm sure, yeah. That scene remind me it reminded me of Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights. Oh yeah, when he's like walking around the house and talking to everybody, uh, you know. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Yeah, I thought that was a that was a lovely film. I could have I could have spent I could have spent a feature kind of following them around because you know that there's this is after the blush wears off and the you know the the it, things start to get a little more real as time would pass. I'm sure we'd get a different side of him and a different side of kind of yeah. like that lifestyle. And it, it was super interesting, and so I was sad to have that movie be so short. But it was it was a it was a wonderful little uh, introduction to California for uh, and how she's uh, viewing things. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other moment in there that that struck me after I watched Lion's Love was um, the scene where he says, "Okay, like I'm gonna take a nap now," <laughs> and closes the door. And it reminded me of like the Shirley Clark yep. moment. You know, where she says, like, oh, I'm just, I'm really tired, which definitely in the context of that movie, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about this, like, seemed like a real moment. It did not seem like it had been scripted. Yeah. <laughs> she just seemed like, I don't want to be filmed anymore. <laughs> there's some there's some stuff going on in that movie that I'm, I wonder yeah, how much we'll was, let's that. roll with yeah. it, and how much was... Uh... <laughs> but I do feel like, I mean, but uh, the fact that that was in Uncle Yonko as well, like, made me wonder like how much of that was planned um because mm. it is it's a very charming moment in uncle yonko whereas in lion's love you're starting to, you're you're sort of like like is does she not want to be in this movie yeah. like i'm a little <laughs> weirded out right now um all right well we'll get there but in the meantime we have um black panthers which is a very different kind of movie both in terms of subject matter and uh style um this is a again a a movie this is a movie that she was making for french television um so you know it's it's runs a little under a half an hour um and it's uh sort of ostensibly about freeing huey newton but there's a lot more to it and the background of um of the black panther party and their activities in oakland um yeah i'm curious to to hear what you thought of this film since you hadn't seen it before um i liked it i mean it's it's different from her other pieces completely um it it felt more direct cinema of the time like it felt like a like a a mazel's brothers type documentary in terms of its just following people around like uh, from the crowd perspective of what's going on felt very reserved, more of a direct cinema style. Um, and you could tell she's there to capture a moment, um, uh, a time, a, a group of people like she, it's, it's more of an informative documentary, a quick history about the black Panther party um, information about them as a group, their uh, communist leanings, and their kind of uh, it's 
it was very interesting. I've seen a few documentaries about the Black Panther Party and a few movies about the Black Panther Party. And if I was, if someone was to say, you know, give me, if my kids were to say who are the Black Panthers, I'd watch this movie with them. It gives, it gives a quick, a, a quick summation and a nice idea of kind of what's going on at the time. And, you know, it is, it is far less othering and exoticizing than like her, uh, salute the Cubans, um, so I appreciated that. Like I was fearing this, like you know, look at the black people type documentary. Yeah. You know, I, I had that worry, but you could tell that she was just really, I don't know, also influenced by some of the new documentary styles that were happening at the time, and wanted to kind of try her hand in that, uh, in that vein. But i appreciated it i you know it was interesting hearing the words of the people hearing what they were about i really appreciated the uh the feminist aspects of kind of like uh revolutions aren't successful unless women are a part of them like that whole dialogue and peace like it was it was really it was uh it was well-rounded and and i liked it a lot yeah i I find this obviously to be sort of like an invaluable document of that moment. Um, And I do agree with you that there is a lot less um, exoticization. And also just, I think the tone here is, um, you know, I guess more in keeping with the tenor of what was happening at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, At the same time, there is a little bit of a feeling that, and you know, I think it's just really tough for an outsider to cover a movement like that without it feeling, I don't know. It feels a little bit like um, ants under a magnifying glass. Yeah. Um, And, you know, she's sympathetic to the ants, but it still feels a little bit like she's hovering over the situation as opposed to being, uh, you know, sort of, I'm not saying she has to take a stance on it, but I think there is a little bit of a sense that, um, I know what you mean. It, there's, yeah, it's hard, it's hard for me to put my finger there's, on Well, it. there's less, there's less, uh, editorializing. Like there's less of her, there's very little of her like saying what she thinks or injecting wry humor or talking yeah. about her feelings about the subject. It's more, matter of fact um this is information this is here but i mean she always has been like she's super left-leaning and most almost all of her political stances uh you know that that uh documentary about the cuba is a perfect example of that you know um jumping on the bandwagon and really kind of like supporting this movement without fully getting the big picture of what was ended up happening and kind of you know it's almost because she's an outsider, because she's not a person of color that is there doing that documentary, um, it's she. I think she, she had no choice but to be more reserved about what she was doing. Well, I think it's clear that she sort of is sympathetic to their their movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some moments where I mean, I think what she's saying is like objectively true, yep. but at the same time, like. You in 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 what would be an American objective, quote unquote objective documentary, you wouldn't have 
the narrator saying that the police are far more fascist yeah. <laughs> than the Black Panthers, um, which is just, you know, I think a fact, like an inarguable fact. Um, but like, it still feels, I mean, and it, it, her attitude is one of, uh, you know, lean left leaning white privilege, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, which like if I made a documentary about the Black Panthers, I'm sure people would say the same thing about oh, me. Yeah, like it's just a tough thing to to cover when you're not part of that community. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she was trying to translate it to a French audience that wasn't aware of the situation beyond the fact that, you know, anybody who would be watching that in France would understand the um, brutal history of black people in this country. Um they wouldn't understand the the you know de- the the detail of the situation or of what the Black Panthers stood for or were doing for their community at that time. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a super thin razor to walk along because you don't want it to be propaganda because you're making a documentary, but you want a message to get out because you're supporting a movement, but also at yeah. the same time you don't you're you're an outsider and so you what you have to say about it has has probably little value in the black community but has more value value in getting a message out to a broader white community or european community and uh, it's you know it's a it's a tightrope you can't you know if uh <laughs> if a french white lady went to go make a movie about black uh black lives matter movement people would just skewer her and she wouldn't get her film made and no one would listen to her at this point in time but for uh, a a french filmmaker to come to want to spread that message out in the 60s um it was probably a pretty um agreed upon thing that that's a that getting that message out is a is far more valuable at that point in time yeah, it was so valuable that they didn't end up airing the documentary on TV because they didn't want to um, upset people. Basically, after what had happened um, in France in '68, they yeah. didn't want to, you know, sort of reignite reignite the uh, the anger. Um, I mean, I think there are the best parts of the documentary are the long takes and stretches where she just lets people talk yeah. and say what they think. I mean, the Kathleen Cleaver scene, I think, is the strongest part of the documentary. Um, but there's also, you know, I think the part, the specific moment that really rubbed me the wrong way, I don't know who it was. Uh, I'm not sure if he was ID'd or not, but the, the older man who was saying the sort of like the 10 things of the the black Panther party, what he was saying, I think, you know, I mean, obviously like he was laying it out very cleanly and clearly and I would have preferred to hear him speak entirely and not have the camera sort of like weirdly linger on his tie and, you know, like moving up him and mm-hmm. then cutting away from what he was saying to go to other things. It just felt a little disrespectful yeah. of what he was saying. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That moment um, has always kind of uh stood out to me as being um odd for the tone of the rest of the documentary yeah sometimes i wonder i know coming from a field where i've watched 
my wife edit documentaries for hours on end uh i I sometimes wonder like i call some you know as much as i i get what you're saying but also sometimes it's like there might be a that might be a band-aid like something happened where it was interrupted or something went wrong and so the only way to fix it is to put stuff over it or to cut away from it and to to be able to have the message be as strong as it can be which you know i i totally get what you're saying i i felt that at first i was like oh is she trying to find visual images to support what he's saying but then that wasn't happening so it kind of kind of went oh all yeah. right, are we not finishing what he's saying? And then we went back to him again, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe we're going to keep going. And then all of a sudden he finished, and I was like, oh, all right, that was an odd That was an odd section after so much, like, direct cinema, like, just kind of being in the moment and listening and then having this uh, this character speak uh, speak those tenets of what uh, what the Black Panther Party is about and just kind of, like, that, that should have been a, a centerpiece because – if that's what they're about, then that should be the part that has the most resonance. And I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, the other thing is there is a sense, I think, in it that, which I, I don't think is necessarily wrong, um, but makes it maybe a more interesting uh, document that, you know, she's going to this place that's like, the center of global scale strife, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you're being dropped down in a war zone, essentially, <laughs> which is what it what it is. I mean, it, these people are being, you know, harassed and uh, basically hunted down yeah. is what they were over the la- over the next five years um, by the fascist uh, powers that be in their in their home country like this is no different than somebody going to bosnia and you know capturing what was taking place there obviously there aren't it's not the same scale of destruction to the communities mm-hmm. but it's a much more subtle and equally devastating um show of uh you know military force uh against a, a people uh, a culture um so there is this weird sense that i think is always present when outsiders come to the u.s to document things there's a great chantal ackerman documentary called south that i think has a lot of uh the same feeling to it of like you you get to see something in your own culture that you've seen many many times but from an outsider perspective in a way that makes you kind of think about not only your own country, but the way that you view other countries oh, yeah. uh, as, you know, being somehow more troubled or like, you know, you have more sympathy for, for their plight. Um, like these things are all happening right here in the good old USA. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, that's part of that big old, uh, cinema as an empathy machine you have yeah. having a people uh, being able to see through other people's perspectives a little bit helps widen your perspectives about things that are commonplace or you might not even be paying attention to in your own country yeah um all right well there was there was one other piece that she made but uh 
a bunch of dudes decided that uh, her piece wasn't <laughs> worthy of in- be inclusion in the uh, film about Vietnam. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it Yeah, and I think, was that shot in france yes I th- before she left I, and then she came back mm-hmm. is that is that what happened yeah she shot this uh she shows uh, far from vietnam it was a uh it was a uh french piece uh co-directed by multiple directors uh chris marker was in there and jean-luc godard famously had a piece in there about himself surprisingly <laughs> and uh and i think marker was the one who who put it all together yeah yeah, and I, Varda filmed a section as well, um, a recreation of a, uh, I think it was a levee or a dam that was being built by the uh, North Vietnamese to kind of protect a village. Um, but her footage was excised from the film completely with a, with the exception of a, a couple shots used in a montage of someone else's part of the documentary. So, uh, yeah, she was very surprised to find it out, but then equally fine with not having anything to do with that movie. So if you see that on your list of complete Varda watching, it doesn't exist. So, you know, just move on <laughs> like we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, should we do it? Are we are we ready here? I'm ready for my close up, <laughs> Mr. Gastar. So. Uh, this movie, um, I won't say anything uh, yet because I'm very curious to hear your take on it. I mean, we should say start out just by saying Varda was originally going to make another feature uh, that was actually going to be made for the Hollywood system called Peace and Love. Um, I, I wasn't really able to track down any information about what it was about, um, but... Uh, regardless, it never got off the ground. Um, she refused to uh, s- to sacrifice uh, final cut um, for the film, and so they refused to let her make it. So instead, she um, made this film uh, in uh, in its place uh, as her sort of lone feature from uh, this uh, voyage to California. Anyway, she'll be back uh, later. In actually only a couple of episodes away um, in our chronology, but uh, a decade separated um, her two trips to California. Um, so this was the only one from this, uh, this California trip that was uh, a full feature. Lions Love and Lies. <laughs> well, I think this is a... In retrospect, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it to a degree. Um it was, you know, it's a total counterculture style uh, experimental film, um, largely improvised, um, and right. She called it a collage. Yeah, you know, every day they'd show up and she'd just she'd ask them some questions and then they'd riff on it and they'd talk about it. Uh, that characters in the movie, are Viva, who is a Andy Warhol uh, girl a bunch of his movies and then the two guys who uh wrote and starred in the original production of hair um jim and jerry um it was like with most um of these types of films there's you know their mileage will vary um things that were probably supposed to be really shocking or um, very 
political or very um, out there for ideas and concepts at this point are not so shocking, not so out there, and not yeah. and obviously political. <laughs> so it was just interesting to watch um, the lots of the thought experiments and her to and seeing Varda as a filmmaker. Um, what her views at that point, you know, she was in Hollywood for not even a year and she's already super jaded, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, wow, that worked fast. Um, So it was interesting to watch her just like uh, to get out of her box a bit, to play with something new. Uh, You could tell she was really enamored by that type of filmmaking and that, uh, that culture, um, you know, those plays that that we start the film out with the beard um that play at that time that she was recording was uh, f- was being directed by Rip Torn at the time yeah. um so just having all these concepts and ideas and it's still super playful like she like she is um she injected things in there that I don't think any American film would have done, like having kids smoking cigarettes and hanging out. Yeah. Um, you know, at first it's super shocking, but then I think about it and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm sure there's little kids smoking cigarettes in France all over the place um, at that time. But uh, it's a, it wasn't, it's not my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it better than Liz Creatures uh, because I can understand the style of filmmaking it was. So I knew there was nothing to really try to wrap my head around. I just can just yeah. go from section to section and in, and enjoy some of the you know the the commentary that they're making about relationships about love about being actors about being a director about the studio system the love letters to hollywood that um of of a time that she probably um have an instant nostalgia for even though she wasn't a part of that time which most people do when they think about hollywood there's like this nostalgia machine that happens there because we can go back at any point and watch the films of the people that were making films back then. And so everything has a sense of weight and history and importance, even though they're just making entertainment uh, that like we're making now just entertainment and (laughs) whether it survives the test of time all depends on the audience. And so it's a, it was, it was interesting. I, I liked it. I like some of the comments about actors. Um, I, was you know i don't think i really saw a lot of that news footage of bobby kennedy's murder and seeing that was really shocking and and upsetting and sad um but you know that's what that's what kind of helps burst the bubble of that place and i liked it matt what'd you think let's 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 (laughs) let's talk about it from both sides now let's talk you what you gotta say so the first time I watched this movie, uh, while I was watching, um, the eclipse set, um, I gave it, uh, and I can go back and look, uh, cause I, it's on letterboxd. Um, I gave it a, what I would refer to as a generous three stars. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I mean, the thing that I really loved about it and that I still love about it is the, 
LA footage, mm-hmm. um, just as somebody who grew up there, um, you know, seeing Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard and some of the, some of the locations that she was shooting are just so great. And, you know, street level, there's just really great footage here. And not to say that, uh, that's not around cause everybody makes movies in LA. So there's a lot of, uh, footage of the, of LA, but like the, 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 the general vibe and feeling of it, I think, captured something that is very difficult to to capture and recreate. Um, and Demi's model shop has that, too. There's some really great uh, L.A. location shooting in that film as well. But uh, that movie is... is um, I mean, both of these films are artificial, but that one is artificial in a different kind of way that I think is less representative of probably what it was like to actually be in LA and live in LA at that time. Um, This time, uh, and that was probably, uh, you know, five years, five plus years ago that I, that I watched it. Um, This time I just loved it. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, uh, and I felt like really uncomfortable about it. I definitely went into this episode thinking like, Oh, I'm going to have to like, put aside my feelings about the movie never, to like talk never about. do that matt we're here to talk about our feelings about these movies <laughs> well you know i think it's important for movies that you don't like to not of just course. be like you can't this was stupid yeah you can't do that you have to you yeah. have to talk like like last episode I and really i think can... that's true of anything mm-hmm. but it's especially true of a movie made by a filmmaker that you hold in such high esteem yes. you know um and so, you know, that's kind of how I was approaching this was like, okay, um, it'll be interesting to see how I feel about it this time, but also like, what can I get out of it beyond these three insufferable people that I have to watch for two hours? <laughs> but the, the, and like, and when I, I totally forgot, by the way, that this movie is almost two hours. Oh, because I was, was go, going in, I was like, oh my God. It was God. long. Like I, I, I watched a good like I watched it for quite what felt like quite a while. And I was like, all right, I got to pause it. Cause I had to go pick up my daughter from school and I paused it. And I was like, I still have 54 minutes of this movie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, yeah. but it's nice. It's like, so what am I looking at? It's like, it's like episodic television. It's like these little, it's almost like a skit show. It's like it a is, sketch, yeah. sketch comedy type show where you have a little section. It's about something like, actors as stars and so you have like both footage of celebrities and them talking about being actors as stars but they're doing it in that way that they're just saying star over and over again and (laughs) and posing and like stretching like cats because they are the lions of the film they are these actors these big prideful things that have with giant manes of hair and you have them like kind of talking about that and then there's a section where you're talking about um, like actors as role models. So they decide to be adults and have kids. And so they borrow someone's kids for the day. And <laughs> you see Viva walking around the pool like, don't splash. And guys, don't let him fall in the pool. And you see them trying to be adults for a little while as role models. These, you know, we want to be taken seriously. And so we can't yeah. be taken seriously as actors. And we're we're just hippies that kind of are doing our own thing and art wise, you know, it's just, it was, it was very interesting to see them be put in these situations 
and then for them to you know just kind of spin with them a bit uh, actors as like uh classical art like there's all those little tableaus she put together of them like yeah. posed as like a you know a neo-romanticized uh, sculpture and uh art and stuff like that i thought you know like i said at the beginning it was it, it at first as i'm watching it i wasn't i what i was like watching it but it wasn't like i wasn't expecting to enjoy it and then days later, as I've thought about what we're going to talk about on this podcast, what parts interested me, which which didn't work for me, the more and more I just kept on enjoying it in my head and singing little parts, singing the stuff in Viva's house. Um, one pineapple. Uh, you know, oh yeah, I, I love I love that. It's part. super I fun. Just, it's it's really fun. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just. Uh, I think yeah, inventory of a rented house. Inventory was, of a rented yeah. house, and and, um, and yeah, great. And it's silly, <laughs> and even at some point, Viva says like, uh, I think Varda says some. Uh, one of Varda's characters says a line about something being silly, and you hear Viva say over everything, "Not as silly as the movie you're making." Ag- you know, Var- yes, uh, on yes. Your, and you're just I, like, I mean, she's Viva is just incredible in this movie. I mean. Uh, uh, so just to, to back up here, because so I I, the, I went in and I was like, OK, I, it was kind of late, uh, maybe like last Sunday night or something. And, I, and nobody else was around. So I was like, OK, I'll throw on this movie just to start watching it a little bit, see how I feel about it. And I ended up watching the whole thing. Um, and I think what pulled me th- like through it was just this time around, even though, you know, you can. I mean, something I guess I should say about myself before we get into this conversation is that I really don't like improv. Like, I really (laughs) don't like improv. And I don't mean it in the sense of like, like Mikey and Nikki style improv to use a reference to previous um, movie that we discussed in terms of like trying to find the characters and the real moments in those scenes. I mean, the kind of improv where you can see where where you can see the people working and you and sort of the purpose of what they're doing is to to communicate to the audience that it's it's made up yeah you know um so like if if the basic kind of premise of something is that it is improv i'm probably going to find it to be like nails on a chalkboard but for some reason here uh i don't feel that way and i think that it's it probably has something to do with like Varda being a very good editor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think the moment like the moment I really like zeroed in on it was when uh, when they're in bed during like the super long scene uh, with the coffee. Yeah, trying to get trying to get coffee. Um, she fast forwards through the shitty parts. Yeah, and it's just one shot, so that's the only way that she could, unless she wanted to like cut away to something else and then cut yeah. back. Rather than do that, like a Band-Aid, like you were talking about, <laughs> she just fast-forwards. And, and at one point, she fast-forwards for quite a while, and then she pauses, and then she starts it again at normal speed, and there's, like, one line that's really funny from the guy, and then the, she speeds it up again. She's just like, <laughs> let's just get to the good parts here. Um, and, and the other thing is just, like, I mean, I think the guys do a good job in this movie, but Viva is... Oh, really, really smart. And like the delivery of her lines is so perfect every single time. Um, 
like i have a new favorite line every like 10 minutes of this movie um when when uh when one of them is asking like about their top 10 record like where's the record and she says something like i gave it to the maid she threatened to quit if i didn't so i gave it to her and she quit anyway (laughs) well it's it's like the thing that it like her performance went up another whole entire level when at the end of the movie she has her monologue that she yeah. and she says i thought i was finally getting to be in a movie i thought yeah. i was going to have words and a script to memorize and i got to have hydra like i saw cleo from 5 to 7 yeah. i thought i was going to be in something dramatic and Instead, I had to do another improv, make shit up on the day, be naked movie, which I'm tired of. And you could tell that she's being like very truthful. And then that just resonates backwards throughout the entire movie about the times where you could see that she was not into it. Or, you know, she's just throwing a line reading out of like what she wants or even that line. Intentionally terrible line. Intentionally terrible. That are are so perfectly delivered. They're amazing. And she does. She has a she has a like early Hollywood look to her. Yes. And, 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 And her delivery, like she almost you can almost see some of these lines that she delivers being inserted into a movie from the 30s or 40s yeah you know? yeah and you could tell that she's you know she watched a lot of, she probably watched yeah. a lot of old movies and remembered those marlena dietrich lines or those you know greta garbo type lines just things that were just totally maudlin and over the top and that she just yeah. loved every second of it and you know to f- well you have to remember like that's that's like 30 years that's before one this. generation well, almost you know? one generation I mean, of this actors is like it's like kids quoting friends uh-huh now you know so it's not really but it's actually less like that because she's not a kid yep she's a grown-up so like she was you know almost alive when a lot of this stuff was happening like these all three of these people are in their 30s i think was she in her 30s yeah i believe they were they were in their 30s for sure the guys but yeah i mean so it's 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 not really like what old hollywood is to us is not what old hollywood is to them and uh and really like they're you know more of the older generation than like they're they're old for boomers you know mm-hmm. like so i i mean people think of them as hippies and they are like in a sense but they're really like actors they're performers yeah uh the three of them yeah. and, and what viva says at the end like is the kind of thing that actors say all the time right like i hoped like i was gonna get to make my big dramatic movie but i just you know they just cast me in another you know daughter role yep. or whatever it is like um you know i just had to do another uh screwball comedy or yeah. whatever yeah once you know, again Betty i'm once again I'm the put upon wife and i yeah. have no lines and i'm only there to uh be the moral foil for my husband's uh, who has a whole entire movie to get to act in yeah no right. so there, you could see there, the hurt there is like that 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 parallel there for sure and then did you watch the viva varda little uh interview piece in the special features oh no i didn't see that oh okay so oh, it, I gotta it, see in that. the uh, complete varda box uh, it's it's in there in the special features and it's a lost uh 
interview. Uh, French TV came down to California to interview Varda and Viva together. And there's great moments where there's this whole section where they're sitting on the bed and Varda's speaking in French to the camera about how much of a pain in the ass Viva is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to work with her sometimes. And, uh, you know, she has this look about her, but, you know, that's very classic and beautiful. But sometimes it was hard to work. And then Viva starts speaking French. And this whole time, I think she's just shitting on Viva and Viva has no idea what's going on because Viva's face is completely like, What's happening here? Why is she speaking only in French? Then Viva starts speaking French, and I just start laughing because she's she says, you know, I don't have the energy of Varda. She comes in here, and I'm ready to work for like an hour, and like 16 hours later, she still wants to film stuff, and I'm just like, fuck that, I'm done. <laughs> and then at some point, Viva gets up off the bed to do something. The 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 interviewer says, "Are you leaving?" And Varda goes, "She's bored with this. Just cut." <laughs> <laughs> and they cut the camera. Then you see her back on the bed later in the interview. Like they talked her back into finishing the interview. It was awesome. Like it, and it totally, it totally, it's almost, she's so almost not playing a character in the, in the, in the Lion's Love movie that it becomes, it becomes one more layer of that um, meta narrative that she has going on in the film itself. And so it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And so, that interview made me like the movie even more because then it it kind of it, it was another another key to her character which it was just it was fantastic so like i said like i went into it not expecting to like it that much or kind of going uh another yeah. counterculture film cuz i i can't imagine like i can't watch sweet movie and like five other sweet movie type movies in a row like I would just I would be burnt out. My brain would just be like, okay, I get it. Cartoon cartoon sound effects and this person falling down. I don't need this. Like, let's let's get to the heart of this. And it's very subversive in the way that each scene, each little part gets to a small truth that I do really appreciate and I enjoy. Um, yeah, we talk about like uh, Shirley Clark shows up, a famous New York filmmaker. Uh, she comes in and she's basically playing uh, Varda's role of the director showing up in L.A. to, uh, you know, an independent, scrappy New York director coming to L.A. to make her first big Hollywood movie. And we have like lots of uh, talk about crew size and then you have uh, her people negotiating with the producer about final cut. Yeah, those scenes are just hilarious. And, oh, they're hilarious because those are these are this is exactly the kind of things that are happening all the time in these boardrooms for some of these movies, you know, that yeah. that round, that, that circuitous, completely uh, getting nowhere conversation about uh, the director having final cut and how the studio the girl. Like, yeah, the girl. The girl having final cut. Oh, the, final oh cut. we, we the, want her to be. 55-year-old yeah, woman. We want her to have, you know, we want her to make an artistic film. We want her to have everything she wants to say. She should totally have final cut. And then after we test it, you know, we should right. be able to tinker with it if we need to because she's got to understand that she had her final cut. <laughs> it's yeah. it's totally uh, it's totally uh, obnoxious and funny and and you know we visit that whole conversation twice and it's the same conversation they're still having and it's uh you could tell that that's why I was saying like Varda's already jaded like she already knows that nothing I'm gonna get done here is gonna I'm gonna be happy with so I'm better off 
finding an independent financier and making this little counterculture art film that yeah. I'm so enamored with, with these uh, people that I've uh, found to be really enjoyable and fun. Well, and she basically just like rented uh, a house um, and made the movie. Like supposedly I'm not sure Elvis how much of lived the crew there for a while. Had. Oh, really? Elvis? Supposedly. Yeah, it's an incredible house. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, like that house is probably worth like $10 million. Well, the crew, the crew is small. But then yeah. also it was just amusing. Like the crew is tiny, but at one point the boom operator is swimming right. in the pool, booming that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which well, is just ridiculous. And the, <laughs> well, and at the beginning, I mean, the clapping, like, uh-huh. you know, they're like, she's, she's filming the crew setting up for the movie basically. Oh yeah. When they, when they get home. They do it. Yeah. I mean, they, they have a, they have a, they have one whole section about kind of like, how a film crew and actors become entwined and film film language becomes very organic with every time Viva makes a snap with her fingers, the camera has changed positions and there's a cut. And we see Varda and the camera operator and the sound people and other people in the mirror as the camera goes through. Yeah. And instead of passing over it, they stop and linger and look at each other for a little while. <laughs> while Viva's talking about cinema and then makes a finger snap and another cut happens. And it was great watching her play with the language of cinema. It's almost like it's almost like it took four or five films for Varder to make her student film. Yeah, I know what you mean. When she gets to I mean, play, like, everything she knows she plays with, like the fast-forwarding, the cutting weirdly, the long takes, the... Uh, right, the running out of film at the end of the movie. Running out of film, the the whole uh, pretentious monologues of, of characters just uh, going and going and going, and the, 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 you know, this is what acting looks like by looking at the stage players, and this is what stars look like, because they come in and they're celebrities, which is a totally different thing from being an actor. I love that little comment that she makes. Uh, it was it's it was fun. There's every scene. There's a, yeah. D- d- What's the line from one of them that's like that's the thing about stars? Like they you have to ask them how they sleep at night or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, yeah. I mean, I think like the thing that always strikes me about Varda whenever she sort of goes self-reflexive or. Um, you know lets the filmmaking show or even just like does something that could be read as pretentious um it it just strikes me as her like having a good time yeah (laughs) like I, i think like a lot of people grumble about this movie because you know it's because of partially because of the self reflexive component of this um, which, which you know, they rightfully point out had been done before and was being done by a lot of other films at the same time. I mean, I think this is kind of a this movie is kind of medium cool and head combined mm-hmm. um, for a super low budget. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is just like the you know the Bobby Kennedy stuff, like in the 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 idea that somehow this movie is intending to make a grand statement about like the end of the sixties or the, you know, the, the crashing down, the come down from the hippie movement. I I don't think any of that is the case. Like, I think that Bobby Kennedy got 
killed while she was making this movie and she decided to put it into the movie oh yeah because that's what like was happening with these people at that time yeah and andy warhol got, got shot. shot i mean the i didn't until i saw this movie i did not realize that those two events were only a couple of days apart um that's pretty incredible um and you know you can only imagine what that must have been like for viva um so i i think like you know for for me like i just enjoy what's going on on screen in this movie and i think it's fascinating and um uh, especially the first half like very funny so i don't think um i don't think there needs to be any more to it like and i guess oh, i yeah, could no. i could see you know using the kennedy assassination um for your for your collage film being insulting to people at the time but i think removed from it now there's less of a open wound there and, yeah and uh, you can kind of take it for what it is which is a time capsule as opposed to uh, an exploitation of an event yeah or tragedy. and she says that she you know she got the news footage and then she recut the news footage with interviews yeah. to make it punch more to kind of what she was going for which you know it's it's funny to tack on a section and lies to talk about how the media lies and politicians lie by editing their footage to make them lie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I understand, you know, at the time, it, you know, this whole, the whole counterculture of filmmaking, you know, it's a whole, it's a, it's a destruction and a breaking down of cinema language. Completely. Right, illusion. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all, it's all meant for that. You, you need to, you need to destroy everything so that the new wave of cinema can come out of that. And you have your Scorsese's and you have your, you know, all the Spielberg's. You got all that group coming up after this. Um, you have your Peter Bogdanovich's. Oh, fuck that fucker. I saw him. I saw him in that <laughs> shop holding a John Ford book. I My note says, Peter Bogdanovich, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, um, he uh, was just there that day at the I, shop. I find like part of me is like, yeah, I can believe that. And then another part of me is like, no, he was there because he knew them. He knew Jacques Demi. He wanted <laughs> no, to, he wanted to. He never, he, he <laughs> claims to have never even seen the movie. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. I, I, it was just too funny. I couldn't believe he was there. I'm like, of course he's there in course, that shop. Yeah. I mean, that shop, like, uh, you know, that's sh- the, the stuff that they show in that shop. That that shop would be worth like three million dollars. It was amazing. <laughs> well, I, like going back to what you were saying earlier, like some of the strongest stuff that she is making in this piece that doesn't have to do with the commentary of things is the footage of L.A. at that time. Yeah, uh, Hollywood at that time because it was it, it it you're used to seeing that place based on famous places that everyone always films at. So you have a sense of what Hollywood looks like. And to right, see yeah. it in this the viewpoint. The low tourism stuff. Yeah, and to see yeah. it at this viewpoint from an outsider, it's, it's spectacular because we already know at this point from other travel logs that she's made is that she has a really playful, good eye. And so she's picking out these really fun, quirky, uh, beautiful like landmarks and and images from from a time and a place 
the whole walking down the streets and just basically shooting of footage of every single street with a famous actor's name attached to it yeah and then having the uh having the chorus singing the first name or the last name (laughs) so you will get the idea of who these people are uh it it was it was it was fantastic like she does a a really good job of that which we we know at this point and so to see like like in uncle yonko like in this to see her perspective of these communities of this place um she really does give a really fantastic sense of space and of place which i always i always appreciate in these films because it be, it makes them worth more because they become a time capsule of a of an era yeah which uh i didn't get to live in and now has been almost completely eradicated off the face of the earth right yeah i mean like there's always a sense that she's an outsider and this is certainly not a movie um you know made that would ever be made by a la native um and all of these people are outsiders um you know the three actors are all from the new york scene and um shirley clark obviously is from new york i don't know how shirley clark ended up in this movie um it seems like Shirley Clark doesn't know how she ended up in this movie. <laughs> I wonder if uh, um, I wonder if they had a film and a festival together somewhere, and they kind of bumped into each yeah. other or something weird like that. That that's true. Yeah, that's definitely possible. I mean, I think. Um, I mean, she also I, would have had to have flown into New York. She might have spent some time. You know, this is back before you just right long flights. Yeah. So Paris to LA. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, well, this this did premiere at the New York Film Festival. I I think one of her previous movies also had been at a festival mm. um, in New York, but I'm not sure uh, which one. Um, so yeah, I mean, but it it really, I mean, Shirley Clark in this movie just does not want to be in this movie, and mm-hmm. um, uh, but it but it is the, there is this great tension of like i mean she also doesn't want to see a movie in the movie or she wants to see a movie but she just doesn't want to see anything that's playing yeah um i I mean like i really honestly do not know if that suicide scene was intended to be that way or if it was like something that happened in the moment it just they just really yeah i mean it just really comes off as uh for a non-actor, it really comes off as way too truthful to not be to be acting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's just like it's so in keeping with the film that it's <laughs> all these moments, like every it just seems like there's a lot of moments in this movie where I'm thinking like, is this like, <laughs> did they mean to do this? Did they not mean to do this? Like, even in the moments where Viva, because the other thing is like everybody's so bad at acting intentionally that when they're doing something they're supposed to be doing it's no different than when they're doing something that they're not yeah that they just like are doing normally because they're intentionally acting poorly in both truthful and non and and fictional moments it's you know what i mean completely and i think i mean it wouldn't surprise me uh shirley clark being such a forceful director in terms of her own approach to everything and having Ag- Agnes probably be like okay so in this scene I want you to like take a nap and you overdose on sleeping pills because I want you to yeah. be so upset about this that you kill yourself 
And so she starts and she's like, you know what? No, this is like, this is stupid. I would never do this. I told you I would never do it this way. This feels so unreal and stupid. And she walks off camera and then <laughs> yeah. Anya shows up wearing the same outfit as her. And says, you just do this. And she takes some pills and rolls over and goes to sleep. She's like, that's all I'm asking you to do. Oh, okay, fine. I'll do it. And then she goes. <laughs> no, she's like, no, she was like, I'm, I'll do it. Yeah. Like, I got to make this movie. <laughs> This is <laughs> all I wanted you like, to do. Obviously, like, does not make any uh, sense at all. It's so it's it 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 is. It's that it's and I think until later when we get her back from the hospital, like you know, Shirley Clark disappears for quite a while in this film. Yeah, uh, you could tell she's probably. <laughs> I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's a, uh, it's interesting. It it has, like I said, there's just all this stuff happening. That it whittles, uh, whittles and whittles down until you get these little tiny nuggets of truths that become universal truths that you, like, when I remember this movie, I'm only remembering the parts that was like, oh, yeah, right on. All right, that makes sense. That's cool. Or, or that was a neat thing to do. Or that was super playful and fun. And I'm only remembering, like, the good parts because that's, you know, that's what that scene how long it took to get to that part. I'm not remembering all the in, in between stuff. And I don't know. I think there's something powerful about a film that can do that, that in, in your hindsight and in your retrospective and your memory of the film, um, it holds the good stuff that, you know, makes it, makes it worthwhile and makes it worth talking about. I think it's uh, like totally reasonable uh, to, to, you know, sort of hate this movie and i think like most people will um so you know as we've like praised it now for for a bit like and there's probably some people listening to this big eye rolls big eye rolls yeah these guys Um, ever shit on a movie mainly just because like these three people are a very particular kind of person and they are doing a very particular kind of performance here um so you know i do think we should just like <laughs> acknowledge that that this is not going to be a movie for everybody no um, it's not and that all of them are are you know i mean they're they're at, both as characters and it seems like as actors extremely self-absorbed and sort of in their own universe and what might come off as charming and clever to me is probably going to come off as pretentious and obnoxious to somebody who's not on their wavelength or who is not in a particular mood to watch a movie like this. Yeah, I can completely get that. If I was, if I was in a different mood and I was approaching this from a different kind of perspective, I probably, it's easy. I mean, it's so, it's so art film with big quotations around it that it's, you know, unless you're willing to, I think that's why I got into this movie better than the last movie is because that movie had, uh, genre trappings that I'm expecting it to, uh, uh, navigate through and it didn't at all so I was felt like I was being like tricked constantly like something was going on where this movie starts right out as pretentious 
Well, yeah, it has genre trappings, right? Yeah. It's just a different... It is yeah, the genre. it's the genre. Right? It's the counterculture it, it's, film. It's a satisfactory yeah. representation of what it is. Yeah, and this in is... In a way this that, was, that, that that wasn't. And this was way more interesting to watch than a lot of these counterculture films. Like, at least this one was uh, almost thoroughly entertaining, you know? With the exception of something like Head by the Monkeys. You know, that was just right. super... That was just like an extended version of their TV show. But... Um, it's you know it's it's interesting like because some of the points they have to say if you can get through it but it is it is hard to watch like it is like you could find yourself completely hating everything because it i mean i think who was it oh it was varda varda in an interview i read in one of uh I got this i found this great book uh it's just a collection of her interviews and the interviews are chronologically written yes i have oh you have that yeah. one the klein yeah. jeffrey klein i think is the yeah. editor anyway there's this great one in which she, i think she says something along the lines of people didn't like my movie because it's a movie about a threesome in which no one has sex <laughs> and there is no push and pull dynamic to this threesome so it's very forward thinking in terms of what a thruple can be and what it is almost nowadays, which is it's not about the sex, which is what almost every American Hollywood movie makes threesomes about. Um, yeah. It's just about three people who want to be together and there's playfulness and romanticism, but there's ne- it's almost like a naive childlike playfulness and romanticism, but there's never any even when they do simulate sex it's ridiculous it's it's, right. it's an act which is which is funny and that's about it so it's a uh, well they're they're the children yeah right? I mean, they're that's the, kids. the joke of the yeah the last act is like they're the they're the kids they don't need kids they are they kids. are kids they never they're never going to grow up because of what they are what they represent what jobs they have they're supposed to play yeah. pretend all the time like how can you grow up and be an adult being pretended being pampered being treated like that and you're of course you're going to be a kid your whole life it's a well somebody somebody says like uh i forget where i read it but they said that like the three of them are waiting to make a movie and that's why they're in la do they does that ever happen in the movie i don't think that's uh, to me like they have no purpose they're just sort of there no yeah no i didn't i don't think they ever said that out loud i think I think the only is the implication that they're going to be in Shirley Clark's movie. No, because they're just no the implicate no because she's just hosting them. That's all. She couldn't find a place because it was that it was right. a silly like there's a convention in town. Stupid yes, mentality, yeah, yeah. and she can't. <laughs> right. She so she gets stuck with Viva, and you know everything goes wrong. Obviously with her movie, but no, I don't think I think these guys just live the art life. They go to parties. They show up looking cool and fabulous. Everybody places. claps at the in the middle of the in play. the middle of the play because they show up. <laughs> you know, they they don't do anything. They just do these things. Yeah. You know, I think they're just they're, they're the art. They're the bohemian artists that I think that's infuriating to people too. Oh yeah, you know because it's it, it sort of doubles down on the 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 stereotypical hippiness of it all. Yeah. That they're just like lounging in a beautiful pool in a beautiful you know on a beautiful hill in Los Angeles. Um, you know, making fun of uh, the real studios getting getting shit done 
going up 50 50 points <laughs> <laughs> well it's just so funny because it is none of it none of it's real it doesn't matter anyway <laughs> yeah. and you know that totally skewering that it's it's fun it's a it it it's like like a Putney Swope or something like that. It's it's skewering a, a whole demographic yeah. of what you know. That's what the counterculture movies do. You know, making fun of the squares, and uh, it's just so funny just to to think about to think about like. I mean, Varda must have been really enamored with this style of filmmaking, and she says that she really loved Andy Warhol's films. And so she wanted to make one in his style, like in that kind of, but, you know, she injects it with her own whimsy and playfulness that she always does in every, so far with everything. I mean, I find Chelsea girls to be kind of insufferable. So just as an example of this, I mean, another good example is like out one, like I barely made it through. When you were talking earlier about a performance and uh, like, that's the first one I came to is in my head was out one. I was just like, yeah, like out one, like you just can't, it's so hard to watch that movie. It's almost, uh, the other one that kind of rings in the same vein is, uh, psychosymbioplastic has is. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Also just so like, yeah, I'm glad that these movies are made. You needed them to be made to be able to break apart and move forward. You have to deconstruct sometimes. Uh, you have to, yeah, that's a good example of a movie that like, for me, when I watch it, I just am just craw- my skin is crawling. I just hate it so yep. much. But then like intellectually, if I step back and look at it, it's like a very well put together movie that's super smart and thoughtful about what it's doing. It's just that like the experience of watching it is so unpleasurable to yeah. me. Where this Whereas one is this super is, pleasurable. You can just kind of like it feels like you're lounging in in a pool. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's nothing to do today except watch uh, Lost Horizon and hang out, and that's it. Like they don't. Need, it's not even like they're doing drugs all the time, or they're just they yeah. just are with each other, hanging out. They like being together all the time. Yeah, it's really silly. Like I mean the the whole the whole scene where they're trying to get coffee, I think is really really funny. Like the whole phone sequence <laughs> is really funny when she puts the two phones together up so to they're each talking other. to each other. <laughs> oh, what was the uh Varda had another fantastic line. I think it was in the introduction to it. She says uh they are from the hippie culture. They are a group of people that want the utopia of success and stardom and riches without wanting to do any of the work to get there. And that's <laughs> like that's exactly what I think about with those countercultures. They want the the leisure life without having to work hard, you know, but against the type of lifestyle you have to work and work ethic you have to build to be able to afford to have the life of leisure that they want i found that i I thought that that was a really fun quote from her about that yeah but i mean the thing is like that you know well no i'll go there i mean like (laughs) go for it the only reason you have to do that is because of the system oh of course in in place Uh you know I mean, like, we could be sitting around eating berries all the time while robots uh, picked them, but people want to, people want all the berries. Well, yeah, that's the problem. It was very funny. <laughs> it's very funny we bring this up. 
the other day it was very cold on friday i decided to drive my son to school and there's a, his walking buddy that he always walks to school with i picked him up too and so he gets in the car this kid named jacob and he says joaquin i've got to talk to you about government and joaquin's <laughs> like what are you talking about i've got to talk to you about do you know what capitalism is <laughs> and so what I don't see Joaquin's face because I'm backing out of this driveway. So I'm paying attention to the driving. And he goes, I can see that you maybe don't know about it. It's OK. I'm going to explain it to you. <laughs> and then he goes on to go really simplistic what capitalism is. And he goes, this is why I think we should be socialism. <laughs> and so this whole time I'm going, oh, this is kind of fun. This kid's talking about uh government and our society and it's it's crazy at 11 he's having this conversation with joaquin and he goes joaquin don't you just want to share everything with friends and just like you know you don't have to he's joaquin's like yeah yeah i like that idea he goes but you know i get to keep my tree farm and then i'm like wait what are you guys talking about we're talking about minecraft dad i'm like oh my god (laughs) they're trying to build a socialist society in minecraft (laughs) Because it ends up this kid doesn't have anything, and everyone else are like these like uh, <laughs> tree barons who hold all the hold all the cards. So of course the one kid who has nothing wants to dream of a society in which there's uh, no capitalism. And uh, it is your son's friend. Uh, he <laughs> not at all, not at all. But uh, boy, I can't wait to show him that movie. We can talk about that. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. No, it was very. Uh, it was very cute, but it it's you're absolutely right. We could have a utopian society, but then who's who's not gonna you know you gotta get you gotta have everything. If you don't have the most of everything, then you're you're right. losing. Yeah, well, and and that I mean that's kind of this movie's ethos in general is is you know you just kind of do what you what. <laughs> what comes to mind yeah in the moment i mean i think like so occasionally it's uh the actors or the film is i don't want to say struggling for profundity because like i don't think it's re- really ever trying that hard yeah but certainly turns towards po- political elements it it breaks out of its bubble i guess is what i would say um and and I mean I think obviously like the most uh, clear part where that happens is with the Kennedy assassination, um, but even in those moments, you know, like Viva's never not doing her thing. I mean, like all the stuff about like talking about politicians and you know even when when after warhol gets shot and she's like why is everything happening or whatever she says like it's so why is everyone dying yeah Um, bobby shirley andy (laughs) (laughs) oh god she's so funny it's great and i now i gotta go dig up a bunch of her andy warhol movies and see what she's doing in those yeah but um have you seen hair i've never seen hair I... i guess i should I have seen parts of hair. I want to say I mean, I've heard some of the songs. Obviously, yeah. I want to say but... I flipped on to like the second half of Hair when I was a kid at my grandparents' house. It was running on HBO or something like that. <laughs> that sounds right. That's yeah. Right. Like it was on HBO and it, like I think I got from the part where uh, uh, Treat Williams joins the army, gets his head shaved, and 
then they do the age of Aquarius reprise at the end and you know, something happens, but, um, I remember that. I remember Beverly D'Angelo nude. I remember that part too. And that was about it. <laughs> That's all I remember. I, ha- I have the olive signature version, uh, olive signature put out a, a lovely Blu-ray of it that I still, it's like one of the only two I haven't watched yet in that collection. Uh, yeah. I don't think that they actually were, um, like had any say in the film. No, I think they sold it it. right out of their hands. And I think there's actually a line in this movie where one of them jokes about selling your product to the, like selling your product to Hollywood and reaping the riches. Like I think Jerry, the one, the blonde one says some line about that at some point. Mm. And it may, so it made me kind of like that pricked up my ears for some reason and then i've read later that you know those are the two guys who created hair and it's like oh that's where that line comes from well the movie i mean the movie wasn't made for another 10 years i think um actually by milos forman that i mentioned earlier um and yeah i don't think it was very well received i mean i think it came in that like greece era yeah it it was too late it was too late for what it was trying to do right yeah, because Tom, it was Tommy. And it was hair. too late and too early. You know, like if if it had been made in like the early '90s when kids were wearing wearing bell bottoms uh-huh. again, maybe it would have had some kind of a success. Or, but or yeah, the or the was... late '80s when uh, the Vietnam fad was in full bloom with Platoon oh, and yeah. Full Metal Jacket. You know, everyone was watching <laughs> Vietnam movies. Have that movie pop out, and then you're like, oh, okay, here's the counterpoint to that. It's the prequel to Platoon. Yeah. <laughs> this is what this is what uh yeah you could have you could have got a uh, you could have got him to be in it. It would have been great. Yeah, um, yeah. It. I read a little bit about the two of them. They basically they you know had big kind of splashy follow ups to Hair uh, that were separate from each other. That not, you know, I think had like six performances and then uh, closed. And I don't think they really ever ended up doing anything else that uh, could be sort of classified as successful. No. They ended up, I, I think actually when one of them died uh, cancer in the early 90s, he was like 55 or something. And they, um, they were supposedly starting work on a sequel to Hair. So I think that gives you an idea of kind of what their lives were were like after after the uh that sort of like smash success that they had um they were never really able to recapture it and the other one just died last year i think he was 90 um and had spent you know the rest of his life basically like putting on performances of hair so again it just gives you a sense of you know that that thing where you have something hit the zeitgeist and you're not able to capitalize on it and you spend the rest of your life sort of either chasing that or uh keeping the its legacy afloat as long as you can well yeah i mean the only way you're capitalizing on it is interrupting other people's play looking like a hippie then of course you know (laughs) you're not you know yeah and it's it, it sucks because yeah i looking them up i i found this is the only thing they ever acted in on screen like they and they made some television yeah. appearances you know in terms of kind of like uh um in regards to hair like as themselves playing themselves kind of thing but yeah it's it's uh it's sad because uh i'm sure you know 
it was it was a popular stage play people really responded to it at that time and it was just released in the wrong time i don't think people were wanted that kind of thing anymore like it was time to move on to something new and you have the the popular 70s you know new hollywood stuff and that feels almost like a throwback to the 60s so it feels too dated but yeah well and viva is still alive oh yeah um and uh i didn't know this actually uh should have mentioned it when we were talking about uh andy warhol being shot but um she was on the phone with him when he got shot right when he got shot yeah that's crazy Um, man pretty pretty crazy yeah um and you know that that event really had a a huge impact on uh warhol's scene the factory like basically shut down yeah yeah that entire scene was never the same after that um and yeah i mean she she ended up being in uh some other stuff later on um but you know generally speaking like that she kind of that trailed off yeah this this uh, was her last like movie movie everything else is kind of like guest appearances and like right. side characters she has this great line you got to watch that uh interview matt she has this great line where varda says it's viva v-i-v-a exclamation point and viva says no i dropped the exclamation point she's like what but your last name is an exclamation point i thought that was so original she goes it just made my name too long <laughs> <laughs> in her dry droll way just made my name too long <laughs> oh, so good <laughs> yeah that's um yeah yeah no I, I i was really struck by her in this movie and just you know that it's it, it's not the kind of um comedic timing and delivery that you can teach somebody no not at all and you've got to be tuned like tuned into that wavelength to kind of get what she's doing and it is it isn't until that last monologue and like that interview i said that i really understood like how like what she was doing with her role and it was it becomes in retrospect becomes something that is uh hilarious and like you know she's a she's she's the character she's that uh she's that spaced out neighbor like that would populate every yeah. se- every uh late 70s early 80s sitcom that uh, for the whole entire right. of our youth you know <laughs> well and she comes off i mean i think initially you think it's it's kind of alienating because it's so like removed and she seems like above it all but in reality like it's very engaged um both like in terms of you know what she's doing but also uh like the the cultural references that she's making and that they're making in general like are very fast and quick and funny yeah like they are just very uh yeah tuned in yeah they play they, um, to what they doing. as a as a acting team they play really well off of each other um you can tell that they're I think Varda says, I hired them because they're all comfortable being nude. And <laughs> <laughs> which just made me laugh that that's her prerequisite. Um, and then just, yeah, it just. Uh, she should have gotten some babies to be in the movie. That would have been. Uh, they love being nude. They love being nude, just running around naked. <laughs> just a bunch of babies. Um, but yeah, no, it was. Uh, 
you could sell that they they enjoyed working together, working around it, working off each other, and they do like whether Varda wrote what she wrote or what she chose not to write or what she came up with every day with a new topic of discussion. They they went for it, you know. They they decided to play, do all their acting techniques, uh, their you know their and but games and you know just yeah constantly spinning these ideas out and out and out and out and trying to thread something together and you know it it's surprising how many times it actually works um you know you expect you know with improv you know sometimes things just fall dead and it just they just keep spinning it until they they hit something that really resonates which i think that's fantastic like you know, like I said, watching the movie as I'm watching it along, I'm just kind of like, oh, man, it's going to be one of these types of movies. And then as <laughs> it goes, it's still one of those types of movies. But then once you kind of build the structure, like you feel the structure of what she's doing, it kind of just it kind of just uh, next thing you know, the movie's over and and it ends so abruptly, like the film just runs out and that's it. There's yeah. no 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 end credits. Yeah, I think it, end, it certainly ends abruptly. Although, I, I mean, I think I definitely feel like once once they get to like the third interview, there mm. you kind of have this sense of closure. Yes. Yeah. You know that you know, and he takes off the wig. Like, it, there's a lot of like all of a sudden it's them talking a little bit. Even though I think in, um, uh, I think it's. I think it's Jim, Jer- Jerry. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. No, is it? It's Jim who's drinking the yeah, milk. Yeah, Jim's drinking the milk. Yeah. Um, like that. You know, still has a little bit of the the same sort of improv or or free association vibe as the rest of the movie, but it still feels different uh, and like a little bit more like them actually talking to the camera. Um, but I know what you mean in terms of, I mean, there's no real way for a movie like this to end that isn't abrupt because there's not like a story yeah. that they're getting to the end. Well, at of. least they didn't all get killed or something stupid like that. You know, like most, <laughs> yeah, that most counterculture really, movies totally, at that time. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, this actually, I guess, is similar to Tulane Blacktop in the, in the sense of the, the film running out. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the only other thing I had was just like the question of, do you feel like this is, I think we've, we've touched on the fact that this feels like Varda's sensibility. And there's certainly some of the humor that we've seen in her previous films is very much present here. But beyond that, does this feel like a Anya Varda movie based on just looking at what we've gotten to at this point, how much of a left turn do you feel like this is in her filmography, I guess is my question. Well, what it feels like is like she took her sensibilities from her documentary stuff and finally translated it into a feature film, like of acting, you know, like with, with point court, it's very, uh, it's, it's very like a neorealism and, with this really high art style uh, formalism in the uh, in the lovers type of sections, and then you go to Cleo from five to seven, five to seven, and it feels more of the French New Wave of that style, 
but in between all and then Le Bonaire is is more of that a bit more of that French new wave but in color and it still has it it, it loses a bit of that playfulness but it but ratchets up the kind of feminist statement but in between every one of these feature films in which each one has its own style she has consistently made these little documentaries that always have the same feel of playfulness and irreverence and uh, uh, kind of poking fun at the subject matter and um, and this is the first movie that feature that feels like her shorts do in terms of I'm going to poke fun and I'm going to inject myself into the subjects and I'm going to inject myself into the film you know this time she physically does it visually as opposed to her other movies in which she's doing it as a narrator, uh, you know, playfully talking about the things or juxtaposing the images to kind of help you understand how uh, ridiculous this whole situation is or how, how kind of silly it is to have these big, giant, ugly, Baroque castles. And, you know, why are we making a movie about this when there's so many more fun things we could talk about? And then goes on to film a, basically a, a choreographed dance sequence with the gardeners. Um, so, this is the movie that feels the most like her short films in an extended form. I mean, because honestly, you could cut this down to 25 minutes or 30 minutes and get excised sections of it, and it would still it would feel yeah. just like one of her short films, just super playful, super irreverent, uh, super personal. And so in terms of what she's going for, I think this is where, I mean, I'm hoping going forward, um, I'm hoping this is a turning point for her in terms of being able to be more herself when making the movies, being less critical, analytical in terms of messaging and, and what she's trying to uh, subtext into her films and being a little more obvious in her, in her, uh, her personal way. I don't know. That's that's kind of how I feel about the movie. If he, like no, I really like that. I mean, I I think in a way, as you were talking, I was thinking like you know, Point Court is the closest that she got to merging documentary mm-hmm. her documentary side and her fictional side, but they are literally segmented from each other. Yeah. You know, there's like moments where the couple has been inserted into sections that are more closely resemble the documentary side, but really it's two stories running parallel to each other, but never intersect in any real meaningful way. And here she was able to merge those two things. Obviously like other than that, those two films couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. And the fictional components of point court are much more stylized. Well, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't say that much more formal formalized uh than this film and lean a lot more fictional than anything that happens in this movie um in terms of a narrative uh as opposed to like not re- you know not being real um but essentially like this is the first movie where she has combined those two things in a way that blurs the line and like yes most of this movie is quote unquote fictional and narrative. Um, but 
in a lot of ways it's it feels like just something that she filmed that she happened to be there for while they were doing all of these things yeah you know yeah i mean it's the idea of her every morning saying all right i want you guys to we're gonna sit around and you guys are gonna watch a movie today and then just rolling the camera and yeah. asking them questions and letting them letting things play out it's it's the most documentary you can make a fictional film to be because she's capturing spontaneity and things that are happening like a documentary would be, even though it's, it's improv, it's improvised, which it's a, it's an interesting exercise. It's an interesting way to approach a fiction film. Um, Yeah. And I, I think you could probably say that adding the end lies here is a reference to that process mm. of creating a uh, f- fictional film that looks like a documentary. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I feel like when I think about that addendum, uh, it's referencing the movie itself as opposed to anything that the movie is about. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, so, you know, in that way, like maybe this is the moment where Varda becomes most comfortable merging her fictional and and uh, non-fictional sides of her filmmaking. Yeah. Um, certainly uh, she will play with that line for the rest of her career um, in a way that she didn't in the previous three movies that we covered it's very funny uh reading i read a an interview i think it was uh, you know uh, an essay it's called underground river i think uh, which is in that book of uh of interviews i think it's gordon yeah gordon lou i think wrote it no gordon i can't remember the gentleman's name i should have it here i should be more professional about this but i don't <laughs> so maybe i'll I, I think i read it too and i don't have it because he says and as i'm reading it he's talking about this being her her most important and best film to date yeah yeah and i'm like and i like when i read that line i was like oh come on dude and now (laughs) now that we're talking about it and we're talking about what's going on and kind of like what's happening in her career uh i don't think it's i don't think he was underselling like what it is about this movie you know yeah if he if he was you know it's a weird thing to say in the moment it is it really is that's what's so surprising which makes me think that that he was a specifically kind of like a counterculture art kind of guy not so much in terms of like normal uh or not normal but uh mainstream cinema type of trappings but um it was a very interesting comment to make you know i think he said this in uh he, I think he called Cleo from five to seven insufferable, and I was just like, "Wow, that's bold! <laughs> like this guy's really a. I mean, you're doing a piece on Varda, and you're calling your movie insufferable. Like in the piece, that's pretty bold, man. But uh, like I can I can understand that idea. Like if this if this plays out, you know, the, the limited amount of movies I've seen past this, uh, you know, I think there's only two more I've seen of her works from here on out. I think, yeah, we're entering a giant stretch of things I haven't seen. Yeah, um, it's a, it's very, uh, it's very, uh, f- you know, f- fortune teller oracle uh, prophecy. Uh, I hope that plays out that way. Yeah, well, and I think like if you have a certain perspective 
on movies um, that gels really well with this movie. The types of films that Varda made prior to this are probably uninteresting yeah. to you, you know? Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't have a type of film that, no, exactly. <laughs> that I gel with. That's, that's... Um, so, so I like all of this stuff, but, but I could totally see that um, and, uh, you know, respect it for what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean... This is not Cleo from five to seven. No, but it is wonderful. It's it's great. It's a whole it's a whole different thing. And uh, it once again having our conversation, talking about it, working through it, bringing up points. Um, it always helps me appreciate it in a, in a deeper sense. And uh, I just wish that worked with the uh, late creatures. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna watch that movie like five or eight years from now and i'm gonna be like man i really missed the boat on this movie this was this was <laughs> this was a real key turning point in her career that i it's gonna be in your brody face <laughs> um so i'm curious to see to hear how you'll slot this one in okay it's uh so right now i think i've i think i changed my list from last week i, I went back to look and i was like oh okay um so i have uh, Point Court last Then I have Lay Creatures Now I have Lions Love Lies um, Cleo And then uh, Bonaire That's my that's my order I really did enjoy this movie But you, there's just a uh, oh, yeah. A master A mastery in Cleo that you can't be Denied it's, uh, it's hard not to look at that film And not see how wonderful it is So Definitely, but yeah, this is yeah. I have the same. I have the exact same ranking, and I think I think that was what you had last time. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think I um, I think last time I might have had creatures last, but then I moved it up a spot. Um, yeah. For the more I thought about it after our conversation, so I think I had written it down last, but then throughout the conversation I changed it. Um, yeah, that's a that's what I got, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, We've got another uh, a lost gem coming up in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, so this is an unusual um, movie for us to cover. It's uh, not. It actually was never released. Um, it, it was only finished in a work print, so she had never actually got to to you know final fully finish the film. It was shelved. It was originally going to air um, on French television, or was it Belgian? Belgian television. television yep. Belgian television, yeah, um, and so they shelved it. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't want to uh, wade into Greek politics, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, it has been very difficult to see uh, for a long time, but is included as a bonus feature on the complete Varda set, um, just to prove that they really meant it when they said complete Varda um, so I have not watched this yet but I'm very excited to finally be able to see it um, and I'm very curious to uh, to see how it came out based on what I've read uh, we will be talking a lot about uh, some of the same fiction nonfiction themes that we uh, talked about today well I'm excited to I'm excited to uh, wade into that whole 
fiction versus nonfiction uh, discussion with you uh, next time we meet. And I think with that, we're complete for another week.